Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, the podcast is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. You can secure 10% square ball discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. With me, Michael Normanson. Hello. Moscow White as well. Daniel Chapman. Hello. You can listen to this podcast and all the ones that we do ad-free with our new subscription, TSB+. Best bit is that you can listen to them all on one dedicated feed, so you'll get this podcast, the match ball, the extra ball, all of those are more in one place. And we do want to stress as well, in case it hasn't been clear enough, everything that we do that is currently free will remain free and will always be free. You don't need to do anything if you don't want. Just keep on enjoying the podcasts exactly as they are, just with the ads in. But the option is there if you want it and it helps to support us and we're grateful for that. And the only very slight change is that TSB Plus subscribers get early access to the match ball with it going on the main podcast feed a few hours later. On top of that, TSB Plus includes full digital access to the magazine. That's every issue we've done since 2009 right up to the present day. You'll also get a daily email. It's called Propaganda, if you remember that old section in the mag back in the day. In it, it's got everything you need to know about Leeds United, what's being said about us and who's been saying it. Plus discounts on our magazine specials and merchandise. Full details at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. We're white watching now then. First game of the season under our belts. And have you caught your breath yet? I think just about. It was all right, that, wasn't it? It's been strange to see all the, the loving around Leeds United in the last few days, but and not just from Leeds fans, which has been odd. I know I know we all know we're good and have appreciated Bielsa's stuff over the last couple of years, but dare I say it, we're everyone's second team now. I mean, we're not. And, and also people haven't realised that there's no fans in stadiums yet. They don't realise just how unbearable Leeds fans are. But for now, for one week only, people seem to like us. I can't remember enjoying a defeat that much. And it's a strange feeling and it's different to what we worried about, that thing of just going to the Premier League for a a nice day out and trying to enjoy it. And it it had a different tone to that. I think what stood out was that we absolutely belonged there. I'm very, very confident after that game that we will not get relegated this season, which is, at the end of it, the target. But... I joked on the match ball that we were watching the two best teams in the country, but it wasn't a million miles away from from that. I would I would struggle to to see a better game this season in the Premier League, and hard to think of a, a team as entertaining as Leeds United in the Premier League. And I think that's going to stand us in good stead for what comes. One of the things I didn't mention on the match ball, but I had this thought on Saturday because I watched the uh, was it Palace Southampton game. And it was just, it was just a dirge. It was, it was boring. And I thought, this is fine, you know, when you factor in the, the whole Liverpool thing. One thing I've realised from the weekend, heading into this game, this Liverpool game, one of the main reasons why I was, I don't know, slightly nervous, maybe a bit of trepidation, I realised I was, I was mourning the loss of last season because it was so perfect in the ending that I kind of, I wanted it to go on forever and I didn't want it to end. But then we've seen the Liverpool game. And I think it's kind of let me move on and I'm kind of now mentally ready and I'm looking forward to the next game because one of the things I've found about Bielsa's leads, and I don't know if this is true for you, it's quite addictive, isn't it? Watching us is quite addictive because we're so entertaining and it's so much fun. I think it is an adjustment that we need to make. If we've, we've basically spent two years winning most games, haven't we? And even when we haven't played very well, there are going to be games this season where we don't play as well and where games where we lose, we'll lose probably at least half of our games it's adjusting to the fact that that's actually okay. And this was just nice, I suppose, in terms of we did lose, but it was still quite fun to watch. You can, as you say, you can be Palace and you can get Sam Allardyce or Tony Pulis or someone like that to manage it and you can stay in the division being absolutely dreadful. But it doesn't look like we're going down that route and I'm very grateful for that. I think you're definitely remembering the end of last season against Derby and Charlton when it was just a pure... Party. I would say Saturday was probably more enjoyable than most of what came before because thinking back to the start of last season, it wasn't fun. I mean, we played some absolutely wonderful football. The 3 0 away at Stoke City last August still stands out as an absolutely fantastic performance. 
But then we came back to Welland Road and we lost that game 1-0 to Swansea. And it was around the time there was that derby drew with us as well. And Elland Road at the start of last season, nobody was enjoying it, I don't think. it was There was so much tension and angst left over from the playoff semi-final that it didn't matter how brilliantly Leeds were performing. Promotion was so important, it was kind of all-consuming and was it was kind of the unsaid thing that a lot of people would either trade to do the Pulis for Bielsa thing if it meant being promoted or just wanted to close our eyes and open them again in the Premier League and not have to go through the torture of the Barnsley game, for example, the last one we played in the Championship. We were a Premier League club after that. Whereas at Anfield, there was none of that. It was fully appreciating the quality of the football that we were playing, even though we had to come from behind three times and ultimately lost the game. The way we did it, there wasn't that desperation of, you know, if we don't win this game, then we won't get promoted and we're on the journey back to League One because Bielsa's going to leave and Radrizzani's going to sell and Phillips will go to the Premier League without us and all this stuff. None of that mattered. So you could kind of go, it was those few minutes after Salah had scored the penalty when you saw Leeds coming back into the game and you thought, oh, we're actually, we're up for something here. This is going to get interesting. And it never felt like the scoring was going to end after um, Jackie Harrison opened it. So there was that real just, I'm watching a good match feeling, which we should have had for the last two years because all those games will have been brilliant. They just didn't feel brilliant because of what was at stake. You're absolutely right. Now I've remembered it. You've reminded me how terrible it all was and how how stressed I was and how I didn't, how I was piling a load of money on us to lose every week because I was, it mattered that much that I want, I felt like I needed some, someone to make it better in some way if we didn't win. I guess in the same way as we now remember last season and all of Bielsa's time as being a glorious thing. It's a bit like how It's a Wonderful Life has got a lovely ending and people think of it as a great feel good film, but actually for about three quarters of the film, things keep going wrong and he wants to die. But it did end well and it looks like we're hopefully in a new period now where I don't need to feel the need to bet on us to lo- to lose because I'm kind of all right with us losing. Returning to some of the points we touched on in the match ball, the post-match reaction, Bielsa was mentioning that um, we were superior in some moments against Liverpool, which is encouraging in itself. Um, he did point out that Liverpool were, were superior overall. And I mean, they were absolutely quality, admittedly strewn with errors at the back, but absolute credit to us for doing that. We put them on the back foot and we showed that we're going to be nobody's fool in this division. And Klopp was pretty complimentary about as well. And some people said that maybe he was playing mind games in the run up to this, but I I think he was being sincere that we would cause them problems. And we did. Liverpool's have got a very, are a very well-run club and we'll have a huge amount of scouts and Klopp is a very good manager. He will have seen us a lot and he will, he will have been sincere in knowing the way we play because it isn't in the same way as a lot of other Premier League teams play. They might have better players than us in other teams, but I don't think there are, there's only probably Man City and I guess Southampton try and do a bit of the, the high pressing stuff, but we we are an unusual team. I liked his uh, one of his post match comments was what a match, what an opponent, what a performance from both teams. He knew what he was coming up against, and his his wish to to speak to Bielsa and properly talk to him, I think, was um, sincere. He's a, a fan of Bielsa, much as. Frank Lampard is a fan of Jurgen Klopp, or should be a fan of Jurgen Klopp. And he thought he could get his team prepared for it. And I think he must have realised at 85 minutes that he couldn't. And I think that's one of the things to really take from it. It's not just the the entertainment and the, the fun, but Jurgen Klopp is one of the world's best managers and he's won the Champions League and the Premier League in successive seasons with that team. And yet, uh, five minutes left, they have to get a penalty to beat us, even though they are hammering us and knocking on the door for those 15 minutes I was talking about on the match ball where the camera was just pointed at our penalty area and there was nothing else going on anywhere on the pitch. They couldn't get past Ilan Melier, Pascal Stroik and Robin Koch, who'd never played a game together, never played in the Premier League together, two of whom, I mean, Koch has played... German internationals, but not many, inexperienced in that situation. And what gives the difficulty to Liverpool? Why couldn't they score? Is it because Pascal Stroik is the next Virgil van Dijk in waiting? Or is it because 
the training that Bielsa gives them and the structure that he gives them to defend is actually really difficult to break down and we were very good at keeping out a brilliant team. We had Klopp confused. He will have gone into that game thinking, and you saw the way Liverpool started, thinking, I can beat Marcelo Bielsa's leads. At 3 all with five minutes left, he couldn't. Let's return to some of the points maybe we didn't mention enough on the match ball, maybe we skirted round them. Just some other little points of analysis. Dead quickly, and the cost of penalty, was it, do you think? I think if it's given, it probably stays given just because of the way VAR is with overruling people. Because there is a, t- a tiny touch on his foot and if you were, if they were looking at it, they'd break it down frame by frame and they'd see a touch and they'd not want to go against the referee's decision on it. But, I mean, I don't want those to be penalties. No, but if the, um, the one against Cox stood, we should have got that. I mean, Mark Clattenburg um, has written a very patronising column in the uh, the mail where he, he dissects the... Uh, refereeing decisions I mean God if he was like this on the pitch where he says let us get one thing straight and I can't believe people are still talking about this two years later but the word deliberate has been removed from the laws of the game you imagine him saying that's actual players on the pitch it's probably exactly what he did and he's saying it didn't matter that Cock did not deliberately handle the ball his arm was outstretched and in an unnatural position he also then just says it doesn't matter that the ball was deflected before hitting his arm, but completely ignores the the Premier League advice for this season, which is an advisory uh, rather than a rule. But it is be a bit lenient if there's a deflection and that's the reason they can't get their arm out the way. Clattenberg just doesn't care about that because he is a knobhead. I imagine Clattenberg had quite a lonely childhood, to be honest. Anyway, um, Mateus Click. Maybe we didn't quite give him enough love on Saturday in our giddiness because he was brilliant in that midfield and his goal was a thing of absolute wonder and beauty. Even if Thomas Christensen didn't think he was good enough for the Championship, it turns out he's more than good enough for the Premier League. So, yeah, he's, he was great. I mean, we shouldn't be completely surprised because he does play for Poland and stuff and he's been such a good part of our team. But I think it was him and along with a few others, probably Ailing as well, who we, we didn't mention, were just absolutely brilliant and looked absolutely completely at home from start to finish, which is a relief because you never quite know, do you, when you come up? And also at their age. I mean, I don't want to make a big thing of people being 29, 30, but there's a, there's a bit of a, a stigma attached to players who make their Premier League debut at that sort of age. That like, if they were that good, why weren't they there before? And there's lots of reasons why a player might not be there before. In uh, Click's case, he had a, a move to the Bundesliga that didn't work out and then had to go to Holland and then a move to Leeds that didn't work out and he had to go back to Holland and then he finally arrives there and it suits some people this is a weird comparison but I didn't go to university when I was 18 because I fucked up my A-levels but I went back as a mature student when I was between I mean I started when I was about 28 and it took six years and I got so much more out of it I think than if I had been there when I was 18 because I was kind of I'd learned a lot in the meantime and grown up a lot and was a different person so sort of knew how to approach it and get something from the experience and maybe there's something like that where if uh, if Click or Ailing had been playing regularly in the Premier League at, at 17 they would have been burnt out in a, a balloon drenched haze by the time they were 21 and on the scrap heap whereas having to go all the way down I mean Ailing to Yeovil Liam Cooper who didn't play but ended up from made his Premier League debut at Anfield and then ended up in League Two with Chesterfield before becoming even League One Liam. They're ready for it now and it stands them in good stead and it's nice to actually see that come off and that they haven't hit a ceiling in those cases. They can actually play brilliantly against the best team in the country. And the whole team, the kind of perceived wisdom is that if you're going up, you need people with the Premier League experience and all that, but there's only really... Pablo with any serious number of games under his belt in the Premier League. And Helder Costa's got a few, Bamford's got a few, but there's actually nothing there to suggest that we should be equipped for this. But turned out we kind of were. And ironically enough, Pablo was the one who was probably most ineffectual compared to his self from last season. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what went wrong for him. It, he still did some fairly nice joining up of stuff and he was in the right positions, but it just... I don't know, something wasn't quite working for him. And he had that one good chance where he tried to square it to Bamford, who would have been in. Uh, he didn't quite connect with his pass properly with his left foot. So 
it was fine, but it does make me wonder if we just need someone else to rely on this season. He may be better against the slightly poorer teams. He's been um, waltzing around the championship for a, a few years, looking like a, an absolute world beater. But the thing he was not getting at Anfield was time. And that's Liverpool. They press really hard all over the pitch. So you don't get time to kind of um, take the absolute piss out of Luton's defence or Stoke's defence, which um, is kind of how uh, Pablo made his his mark a lot of the time. And it, it could be a, it'll be interesting to see what his role is, especially when we spend a hundred million pounds on Rodrigo de Paul, because at the end of the last season or through a lot of the championship uh, over the last two years, we had difficulty against those teams like Luton um, who would pack the defense and wouldn't give us any space at the back. And we needed Pablo Hernandez to come on because he's got the brain who can find the space where, he won't be pressed and can then pick out the pass that unlocks that defence and we win. Whereas Liverpool, with their full-backs basically playing in our penalty area, much as I was playing theirs, aren't going to do that packed defence thing, but they are going to press a playmaker and not give him the time and space to, to try and pick something. And we don't necessarily need that that time and space. The ball from Calvin Phillips worked brilliantly for Jackie's goal and then Click and Costa did everything they needed to do for the uh, for Click's goal when there was loads of space in midfield and there was nothing really to stop. Five of our players running into Liverpool's box and having space and Costa, if he'd not passed to Click, he could have passed to Ailing. He had Bamford behind. No, Bamford had gone off, hadn't he? He had Rodrigo behind. Who was on the other wing? I can't picture now who all the players were. Half the team. That makes the point. It was, you know, Costa's got the ball, that's one. And then you had five other players running into the, the penalty area. So take Melier out of the, the equation. You've only got four left. We didn't get the, the space and the gaps to do that against Stoke or Luton too often. Whereas now, it's going to be absolute piece of piss, this division. Well, propaganda is the name of our new daily email that comes with TSB+. And let's do some propaganda now and find out what Liverpool thought of it. It's fun digging into the goals uh, that happened. Our goals, obviously. Uh, the Redmen TV watch along. This is when it went 2 2. Here we go. Is it playing? Yeah. Okay, Leeds looking to build again. It's just inside the Liverpool. Off. Big ball over the top. You know what? Oh, Christ. Virgil van Dijk's fucked it up. And Liverpool have conceded. It's two for Leeds. It's two for Liverpool. Virgil van Dijk with a catastrophe at the back. For the Reds, what is he doing? He should have just let it go anyway. He just deal with it one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, he's doing the right thing there, Chris. He's turning to his teammates. He's trying to blame someone else. That's the sign of a solid professional. Uh, but I think that the, it's got a full squarely at the feet of Big Verge there. The music in the background, that's not us making a mistake, by the way. That was on the recording. They were trying to do something with their music, weren't they? Yeah, they were just getting their background music set up and having a, a nice little chat. And you could see when that ball, it must be how used they are to Virgil van Dijk being any good that when that ball's over the top, they're just like, oh, well, we could just, we'll just talk about something else because he'll deal with that. And what a joyful sound when he didn't. Oh, Christ! Virgil van Dijk's fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, listening to that, it was giving me Belushi flashbacks when we used to have have to deal with that sort of thing and the, the whole thing of him immediately turning to teammates and having to go at them for it. I think the 3-3 goal is possibly even better because, again, they're just in the midst of a boring conversation about Curtis Jones and the mixture of anger and disappointment is quite beautiful. This, when he's like second sub after Fabinho, when you're making changes to midfield, is, is really good for Curtis Jones yeah. and he'll be, he'll be excited. To, he's lost his man there. <laughs> and there's the equaliser, brilliant. He's lost his fucking man. Oh, yes, 3-0. Liverpool, peg back once again. <laughs> what a mad game of footy this is. Leeds are level. But, but the next words out of my mouth are going to be, but with all of this, we need to just get just get our, get established, make sure we've, you know, we've gotten the changes under our belt correctly that's, and before we've even settled from in. Our, from our fucking throwing, Klopp will be raging, so will Thomas Gronemach. Yeah. And and they look oh yeah they've overloaded us there. Well, 
I think Wijnaldum was originally on him, wasn't he? But because Curtis coming across Curtis's face, he just doesn't go with him. It's a great touch and finish. Mm. Can't take that away from the lad, you know what I mean? But, I mean, that me feels like was down there. Mm. Well, Liverpool are going to have to go again. Oh, keeper. I know he sees it late, but you've got to think. Oh. Yes. There we go. Fuck me. Liverpool 3, Leeds United 3. This is not what we came here for today, but my God, what a game it's been so far. Worth adding that Thomas Gronenmark is their throwing coach, by the way, who they refer to there. They have a coach for throw-ins. Yeah, it was only when I Googled it, I found out there's a K on the end. I was looking for Thomas Gronemar. Thomas Gronemar! <laughs> oh, no, oh, okay. And also, I mean, I'm going to have to check the replays. I don't remember anybody in our team coming across Curtis Jones's face. I would have thought that would be a, <laughs> some kind of ungentlemanly conduct in the penalty area. They don't come across too badly there, actually, do they? No. I think it's, I think it's fair enough. The Anfield rap uh, are definitely much more anti-leads in, in everything they do. Unfortunately, their post-match podcast is subscription only. Um, not even a free option. The absolute money-grabbing bastards. You could at least put it out for free later. Anyway, there is, uh, there is this from uh, available on their free bit. They, they talked a lot about how they were feeling very frisky after the excitement of the game, but um, one of their correspondents just says, well, it's the typical Liverpool attitude. And it was like, I think, I think one of you said, actually, when you were doing hot mic, like, your back was to win, and it went 3-3, mm. and even I was thinking, oh, shit, like, this is the narrative that everyone wants to hear. This is the narrative that the country wants. Liverpool draws the leads on the opening day of the season, the Premier League champions, the almighty leads who've come back from the championship to the premiership the first mm. time in 16 years, and Liverpool have dropped points to them. But did they let that happen? No. no. Because we are still Liverpool FC, and no matter how many people doubt us, no matter how many pundits decide to say that Man City are going to win this league, even though we pissed it last year, we were there, we got the three points, and it was never in doubt. Such a special club, aren't they? They're so special. Never in doubt. I doubted I was going to live to the end of the match. And why was she broadcasting from a public toilet? <laughs> Maybe that's where she likes to hang around. We've no idea. Never in doubt. And it's all like, can you not get through? What they put on their free channel is basically the first two minutes of their post-match subscription. So we're two minutes into the first game of the season and it's already, ah, that Premier League narrative hates Liverpool. The whole world loves Liverpool Football Club. That's the first thing. And secondly, obviously the result was in doubt. Otherwise, they wouldn't have needed a penalty five minutes from the end to scrape a 4-3 win. Yes, they were annoying. The Red Men, though, their post-match podcast. I thought this was actually quite an interesting point. Firstly, they kind of shared... This is kind of how I feel about the game, that it was fun, entertainment, using... They use the word pastime, which I think is often forgotten when we're talking about such a ridiculous thing as football. But then there's also quite an interesting bit about the lack of a crowd. And public health warning. It's very scouse here at the start. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, there's a sound. I mean, it comes in strong. You'll hear it. What did you actually make of the performance, though, mate? Like, I mean, look, you know, we can see three goals, but we score four. I really enjoyed the game today. I'm I'm a a, a Liverpool fan and I'm I'm a fan of football. And I... Uh, we we watch some dire games of football. Uh, the Reds playing some dire games at times, and I don't know what, what people would rather have. I, I would rather win four three than win one nil, and I don't think Klopp would rather that. I think he would rather win one nil and have a nice clean sheet, and Alison Becker to be made up with it. But I, you know, we do this. This is our this is a pastime. I don't give a fuck really whether Liverpool keep clean sheets. I, I just want Liverpool to win games of footy, and I think actually Leeds the way that game went was probably exactly what we needed particularly when you've got no crowd Leeds almost did the jobs of the, the job of the crowd for us like Gene as well yeah to, to, to say to these lads go on then we dig deep and find something more to go and I got the real sense from the from the players on the pitch today that they 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 see that it's not going to happen at a canter and they want to go particularly the attacking lads <laughs> I don't know what yeah. to say about the defence I mean, Pascal Stroik, one of the stars at Anfield and the topic of a piece by Phil Hay on The Athletic this week. We're going to be having a chat about Pascal later this week and get Phil's take on the events at Liverpool, see what he thought. Um, When we do the Phil Hay Show podcast later on in the week, we're going to be talking about Hull in a bit and we'll get Phil's reflections on that too after the game. And Phil, ever the one who likes to play with fire, is doing a bit on Leeds United challenging for trophies again to the Maniac. 
uh, Leeds United, Premier League and sport across the globe on The Athletic. And if you want to read all that, you can sign up and get 40% off by going to theathletic.com forward slash the square ball. Marcelo Bielsa, definitely staying. Contract has been signed. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> it is good. I don't think anyone's surprised, but it is good still. I feel happier now. It was nice to hear it. Here it said, him saying, I will be working for Leeds United this season. And then the next day when they said he actually means it, he signed a contract because he did leave it a little bit vague in the press conference. Um, they did try and pin him down on, Do you have you actually signed the contract? And he was just going, well, the contract isn't important. I'm working here this season. And everybody, I think, is, mm, we, we'd kind of like the contract anyway. That's all right. But we've got it. Oh, we've got him. And we've got a new translator as well who did a good job at the weekend. Little chap, quiet voice, as Marcelo pointed out. Speak up, boy. How he didn't just crumble with that, I don't know. Mas, fu- mas fuerte, mas fuerte, I think he was saying, which means like more strong, doesn't it? But I, I felt bad for him. I feel, as much as I love Bielsa, I feel the way he treats these, these poor people who are translating for him. I just want to give them all a hug. That incident has hit the Argentinian websites. They're all loving it and and pouring over it. I think the the full translation afterwards is quite difficult. The the way it's um it's got hearing and listening the wrong way around in the translations, but it seems like the second time he's saying, you know, do you think the man can hear you? <laughs> it's all this. And um yeah, it would be good to put a name on him. I'm sure at some point somebody's going to find out who he is unless he disappears. Like that might just be it now. He's had a go. And he um he struggled a little bit in the uh, the press conference last week as well. I think um, Bielsa said to him, he's like, I didn't say to you last season, but you said last season. And the guy's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my best. The um, the other thing in the Argentinian media is they're, they're calling him a boy. I think they're quite struck by how youthful he is. So it's like, <laughs> it's um, it's all about the, uh, the literal translation through Google of um, El Loco is the fool. So it's all about how the fool was um, correcting the boy. Sounds like a good film, doesn't it? Um, on to Rodrigo de Paul then. Could he be the one to fill the number 10 slot? Phil has tweeted saying this one's not going away, but it's equally not getting done yet either. And he's been teasing us once again with his social media likes, which you have to assume now, given that he's done it twice and he's twice um, unliked the things that he's liked, suggesting that he wants to come to Leeds and would be ace in this side. Fair to say, and as we understand it, he does have an interest in the move, but let's see if we can get the move fixed up then, shall we? I mean, he might be liking these things by accident. It's easy to press the wrong button, isn't it? I remember when in the early days of Nigel Martin joining Twitter, he his only like was a picture of a, a young lady who had had a, a Curtis Jones incident occur to her. Um, and I'm sure that was an accident. So maybe it's the same for Rodrigo, but the fact he seems to do it, he sort of he's just showing us a little bit, isn't he? He's like, have a look at this. Do you like a bit? Oh, it's, no, it's undoing it. Sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm only kidding. He's been linked with, um, is it Zenit now coming from as well, apparently? But don't go there. Just come here. He has a, a prior interest in Rodrigo Moreno as well, because they were together at Valencia. So he's got his kind of, um, uh, his plausible deniability where he could just say, oh, no, I'm just happy that my mate's there. So I'm just liking all his lead stuff. You know, that, that that's what it is. But really, it's uh, it's that he's signing for Leeds imminently. Definitely. He didn't play for Udinese, did he, in their um, pre-season friendly? And for what other possible reason would he have missed that match if not to be signing for Leeds? Well, let's keep our fingers and toes crossed. I mean, because he's been doing that, the little bit of teasing on social media, I've decided unilaterally that we, via the TSB account, are going to be saying hello to him every day until this is resolved one way or another. Hope that's fine with you. I mean, we can't stop you, can we? You've got the password. Um, I mean... If he does sign, keep doing it, I say. Keep seeking his approval. Absolutely will do. Josko Gvardiol then, not coming here by the looks of it, based on the latest reports. He's either staying in Zagreb for another year to learn his trade, according to one report, or there's another saying he would rather go to a pretend football club in Germany. He seems a little bit worried about Leeds and the Premier League. There is still some talk in the Croatian media with people saying it would be a good move for him and he should challenge himself and he should you know what's the worst that can happen his preference for Leipzig seems to be that it'll be a bit of a an easier ride and I mean that's one way of putting it I suppose the other way the the charitable way of putting it is um, uh, a good pathway for young players 
into the first team and then a big move to Dortmund or or something like that. Whereas I think his uh, his worry is that straight to lead, straight to the Premier League could be too big a step at once and he could either get lost or shown up. Uh, move to Leeds is too big, so he wants to join the Champions League team instead. Well, yes. I mean, he's 18, so, you know, thinking this through, he may be having problems making the sense of it. It could be a sense of environment or the domestic league. I mean, Leipzig had um, Jean-Kevin Augustin, didn't they? So they're not exactly a, a team absolutely chock full of superstars. It's a little bit of a lower level of scrutiny, I think. The Premier League is madness. We do know that. I wonder if domestically the, the Bundesliga offers him a more relaxing time. And Leipzig's fans are essentially just new football fans, aren't they? So they won't give him as much as much hassle, probably. One lad who it looks like we are getting is Crescencio Somerville. Little Jimmy, uh, he looks like he's coming in this week for the under-23s, obviously, rather than the first team. But talking about pathways there, there's a, a clear route into the first team for him. And he looks absolutely wick. A little bit raw, sort of a touch of the Ian Pervaders about it. But um, God, he looks fast and direct. And I like a winger with dreads, I've got to say. I don't I don't know what it is about it. There's just something in it. I think maybe it's John Bataka, that sort of an influence, but I, I just think it looks good on him. He looked quite central from the the two minutes of um, YouTube footage I watched. The uh, He was basically just absolutely sprinting through the middle of defences, um, doing loads of great skills and dribbling, and I felt like I'd, I'd kind of got the idea after two minutes of that, and the soundtrack was doing my head in. But yeah, I'm up for it. I think uh, it's hard to judge these kids who are going into the under 23 so a good time to remember that we don't actually have to judge them we can just let them play and see if they get better or if they get worse i keep reading his name as like a variation of serrano de bergerac though so it's a a strange combination of um, the communard singing the bergerac theme is where my mind keeps going with him so probably better that i just ignore him quick fire rifle through the rest of these then is this internet bollocks? Dijon forward, uh, Munir uh, Chouillard, is it? Excuse my French. He is absolutely mustard, that guy. Hey, very good. I'm glad you went there with that terrible mustard pun rather than me, because I thought it, very much thought it. And that was in France football. Internet bollocks, yes or no? Probably. I don't think we're trying to buy a forward, are we? Probably not. Fluminese forward, Marcos Paolo, he's 19, he's 40 million quid. Internet bollocks. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, we're not spending another £40 million on a 19-year-old. Although Fluminese, nice kits. So it could be that there's a premium if he brings a suitcase of shirts over with him. Jordan Lukaku, Lazio. Uh, he's left back, isn't he? Reports that us and Brighton have bid €5 million, Euro, which is about £4.5 quid, for the younger brother of Inter Milan striker Romelu Lukaku. Internet bollocks? Oh, I mean, poor Barry Douglas. Back at Thorpe Arch, I've interceded these rumours. He already can't get in the squad. I don't think it's about linking us with a left-back. I think this is for the um, uh, lead bid for Lukaku headlines. That's what's ah. driving this more than anything else. Yeah, that make, that does make sense. Absolutely, yeah. Outgoings then. Jordan Stevens on loan to Swindon, according to uh, Internet Hotshot, bit in paper, Alan Nixon. Uh, Robbie Gotts looks like he might be going to Huddersfield, as per the previous rumour. And Ryan Edmondson, gone back to Aberdeen. What on earth is Rob Price up to again? Because that diagnosis was a lot longer than a couple of days. It's, I mean, it's hard to know if Ryan Edmondson was just making a meal of it. Maybe he was just complaining too much. Turns out there's nothing wrong with him. But, it, I mean, maybe the need to get rid of Jordan Stevens out on loan is because we know what's happened to his, his ankle. It was his ankle, wasn't it, I think, with uh, with Edmondson. Maybe that's he's had to become a donor. I was wondering the uh, whether this is Adam Forshaw's role this season. I mean, we can get Ryan Edmondson fit again in Rudy Austin speed. And yet, uh, Adam Forshaw is just gradually being stripped for parts over the next uh, next few months. Jordan Stevens, though, is following the um, the James Milner route as he broke into our first team as a, a wonder kid. And then the Peter Reid season, he went on loan to Swindon for a bit. So if he comes back and plays 500 games and wins the Champions League for preferably Leeds United, good move. And they'll be learning from the best because Tumani Diogoraga is there at Swindon. So, and he has former scummer and Donny player Richie Wellens as his manager there. So, you know, I mean, I personally don't think we should give him to Swindon just because Wellens was part of that Donny team that beats in the playoffs. And 
I think it's fair enough to hold a grudge for that long. Do you get nervous when Andrea Ratrizzani does interviews? I always do. I mean, God bless the man for the direction of travel he's taken us on. He's got ambitions to take us up towards the top six, which I'm a big fan of if we do that. Lovely stuff. Uh, he did the interview with the Financial Times in the UK. The headline, basically, he hopes that uh, the Premier League return will see us turn into a £1 billion club, getting up uh, inside the next four or five years to be in behind the big six. It's the headline that makes you think, greedy bastard. What's he doing that for? That's not, and then you think, oh, oh, hang on, okay, we want to be a good team to do that. I suppose it's all right. As long as the two things uh, can go hand in hand and we can be a really good team, then I suppose I'm all right with it. This interview and the one he did with the Associated Press last week were not too bad on the the Radritzani, he's gone madometer. He has stuck very much with the line he had when he first arrived, when he said he was giving himself five years to get out of the championship, and if he couldn't do it, he'd probably sell up because he couldn't just stay in the championship and lose money. But that if he did get in the Premier League, I think one of his quotes along the way was then, that will be when I start to play, which is when the madometer kind of kicks in because some of his ideas can be a little a little bit like a shit badge. But now he is in the Premier League, he's kind of sticking to some of the, the early comments of, I think we can, you know, after that we can we can build, we can get in behind the top six and then hopefully break into them. And he's said, uh, so what he used to say back then was, if we get into the Premier League during this five years, I could stay for 10, 20, 30 years and build something really good. And he's aligning with that where he's talking about another five-year target that he's given us that long to try and get behind the big six, then without a, or I'm going to sell proviso, just that's that's the next thing to aim for. And that's something to aim for. That's good. That's calm. It's not um, it's not Hockaday saying that Chilino wants to be on the, wants to win the Champions League and he wants to be part of that journey. It's not, we're going to buy Cavani and Ibrahimovic, which that was a month ago, so um, it's still kind of on his record. There's some sense there, and uh, as you use the phrase "direction of travel," and it indicates a, like a positive future intention. He reckons that he's rejected takeover offers in recent weeks, but will sell a minority stake. A evaluation. I mean, I presume this is for the overall club at this moment: two hundred and seventy to three hundred million pounds for a stake. So interesting to see what the Forty ers do. There's obviously rumblings about Qatar Sports Investments (QSI) as they're otherwise known. Um, so it will be funny to see where this one goes, and particularly when you reflect on our chat with Angus Kinnear, uh, when me and Michael went to see him, and he did say to us, expect some sort of investment, be it from Acer, which is Radrazani's company, or external across this next year. Yeah, the other interview, the Associated Press one, or actually, no, it might have been this one, the uh, Financial Times one, talked about factoring, that we were taking out uh, a loan against future broadcasting rights income to raise 30 or 50 million quid against that, which does have that slight, um, I think there's an instinctive reflection. It's happening again. It's happening again. Um, But the numbers seem more sensible, 30 to 50 million. I think you could multiply that by two, at least for the amount that Ridsdale was burning through with his loans. And broadcasting income, probably safe. No, actually, in COVID times, it's madness. But the only other mad thing that propped up, so there is always something on his madometer, is uh, is wanting to build like a group of clubs in Spain, Italy and Portugal that are all a network creating footballers who would eventually play for Leeds, which uh, does that kind of thing ever work for anybody? I must admit, I'm not a fan of this generally for any side of it, to be perfectly honest. Like, I don't like the idea that we'd essentially own some poor bastards who have and now exists purely for the benefit of Leeds United. As a, just as a football fan, it doesn't sit right with me. Like if we'd have been in League One and Scum and bought us as a little a little play thing that they can ship out some players on loan to League One, it wouldn't have felt right. And yeah, I'd kind of rather we just didn't. Just let football clubs be owned by people who want to run that club successfully for their own benefits. I mean, it's the Watford and Udinese thing, isn't it? Where And Granada are involved in that as well, where... Uh, Pozzo owns them all and um, obviously Udinese is where we're trying to get Rodrigo de Paul out of and there was some talk of like, Radrizzani being able to talk to their chairman because he's a mate and it's kind of that's where these ideas all crop up and 
I mean, it's. I mean, Watford got relegated, didn't they? So it's not exactly been a resounding success for them, and just seems to lead to confusion. The RB Leipzig and all the rest of them model kind of shows the other way, but that's not even. It's not even about sport, is it? It's just about promoting fizzy drinks. Ah, yeah, I don't like it. Don't do it. So good. I'm glad we stopped Radrizani from doing that. <laughs> Unless it's Huddersfield, then it'd be quite funny. <laughs> Uh, one thing we might want to brush under the carpet is Accrington Stanley 7, Leeds United's under 8, nil, 5 nil at half time. Squad numbers 59 to 78. I mean, there's nothing much in this, is there, we can say, other than it was done to protect the COVID bubble at, at Thorpe Arch. I was watching this, uh, kind of as well, I managed to find a stream of it and it had it on just as we were recording the Phil Hay show. And I think it was like five minutes in and I was like, oh, Jesus, we're getting absolutely battered here. This is going to be about 10 nil. And it wasn't quite, but I did feel so sorry for them. They were genuine children that were playing. And you, and this is like, to look through the team, I think, and not, I'm not suggesting we have, we're anything like experts on the youth teams at Leeds, but there are most of these names I don't even recognise. And you have to think, given the success rate of sort of 16, 17-year-olds actually going on to become professional footballers for anyone, never mind for, the, for Leeds United, probably none of these will well, potentially none of them will get a contract and it just was a bit harsh on them. But what can you do? I mean, one notable addition to this side of the bench anyway was uh, Keenan Carroll. Uh, surname is familiar to anybody who saw Seb Carroll play for Leeds and goes to show how young this side actually was when you consider that Seb Carroll didn't leave Leeds until 12 years ago. And this is his child playing for us now in what is not far off a first-team game. I just felt bad for all of them. I, mean, I think the um, Cooper Scary, he was called the goalkeeper. I was still watching it with you and Phil on the line when he made a save and instant. I think it was at two 0 He made a save and then did an instant take me off gesture, which I wasn't sure if it was an injury or just a. Now nah, fuck this, please. I don't want to be here for this. Something bad's going on, and I just want to be off this pitch. But I mean, in fairness, the bits that I saw, we were kind of doing some some quite good stuff. You could see what we were trying to do, but we were playing against bigger boys. It's education, isn't it? There was a lot of worries on uh, on Twitter about, you know, these poor lads have had their careers destroyed in one night. And it's like, that's bollocks. I mean, Mark Jackson came through our youth team and I went and had a look at some of the games he was involved in. And our youth team was actually quite good. They used to dish out these kind of results. But you do get at under 18s level the 8 nils and the 9 nils that are got to be soul-destroying to, to young people. But the difference here is they are actually playing against a League One first team and they just had to look at it from the point of view of that's the level you need to one day reach and it's educational. I could hear on um, the highlights, Accrington were, were quite generous by only putting the bare minimum of the goals on YouTube with no replays and no dwelling on the celebrations or anything. It was just like, yeah, here we go. This is what happened last night. Yeah, you want to see it. But you could hear some of the coaching staff after a goal had been scored from Leeds, pointing out what the mistake was, what they need to watch for the next time. And there's an argument that this is a video that they'll, they'll hate watching back. But you can take those players now and say, right, you've been, you've been tested and here is how you solve those problems rather than... I'm sure it won't be a case of Mark Jackson getting them into the dressing room, tearing strips off them, telling them that, you know, they're a shambles. Can't believe they've let they've let the club down, they've let themselves down, the families down. How dare they be beaten and bring disgrace? No, it's I mean, how many goals were there? Seven goals. So it's right, right, there's seven situations we look at. What could you have done better as you learn to become a footballer? You know, you were saying they weren't really celebrating or dwelling on it. Do you remember the comedy character Competitive Dad? Was it a fast show character? I think it was. In a way, you kind of you'd be think it'd be funny if the Accrington players had celebrated like it was a World Cup final, like roaring in the faces of these poor kids. <laughs> I remember when Australia beat was it was it American Samoa they beat like thirty nil or something, and that just I mean that was worse. I think they had a fifteen year old in net that day did American Samoa, but yeah, Accrington had a bit of respect for it. It, it does go to show. I mean we've used this competition before as a way of slagging off Sean Harvey when he introduced this B-team thing into it. But don't lower league clubs get fined if they don't play enough good players in this competition? Like if they don't, you've got to have a certain number of starters from your last game or something. Whereas we've turned up with a, a complete piss take of a team of children 
and that's absolutely fine because we're a Premier League team. That doesn't it doesn't really sit right with me. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. We've got the Tigers coming to tea on Wednesday. The Hull Tigers, Humberside's finest, back at Ellen Road. Bless them. Big day out for the League One club as they come to the big boys in the Premier League. You looking forward to this? 4-0 last time. We're now a Premier League team. I, d- I don't see why we can't surpass Wigan's efforts. Having just talked about beating a load of defenceless idiots. Um, that's harsh. They're not idiots. They're youth team. They're just young. Hull Tigers, though. Um, yeah, we'll just, we'll just win this, won't we, with our under-23s? tell you how much I'm looking forward to it. I thought it was on Tuesday night, and now I can't believe I have to wait another 24 hours for this match to happen. That's either an indication of how eager I am for it to take place or that I just don't fucking care. Is this the League Cup? It is. Why are we in the League Cup? Because all league teams are in the League Cup. But we're not a football league team. We're a Premier League team. I don't know if you've noticed the past winners of the the League Cup, but it tends to be Premier League teams. But don't the Premier League teams get to come in in like the semi-finals and not have to piss around with League One whole city or something? That's correct. All 20 Premier League teams come in at the semi-final. <laughs> yeah, Hull have already had to beat Sunderland to get to this stage. Right, well, why can't they just play them again until we're interested? I mean, we played Liverpool on Saturday. Why do we now have to play Hull? I'm mad enough about playing Fulham at the weekend. That's poor enough, but Hull. I must admit, with these two previews, I did think, did we really get promoted for this? To preview Hull and Fulham? This this could be third division games. I tell you what, I mean, the under-18s, they're a brave bunch. They love playing. They can play this game against Hull. And Bielsa, just give Jurgen Klopp a ring. Let's just have a rematch. Just do that again, because everybody had fun on Saturday. Everybody loved it. It was a great time. So why don't we just play again? It does mean we will likely see Rodrigo starting up front and a good chance to get the likes of, you know, Perveda some minutes under his belt. So I'm looking forward to it. It's 10 quid in it on um, LUTV, I think, is showing it. And uh, we will see one familiar face in Malik Wilkes, but Louis Coyle, is he carrying an injury at the minute? He seems to be, yeah, he didn't play in the last game, so I'm not sure if he's going to be fit for this one. But Wilkes looked quite determined to score against us last season, didn't he, when he played? He played for Barnsley and Hull against us last year, didn't he? But um, yeah, whether or not he's still bothered, given it's now a League Cup game and he's a League One footballer and we're in the Premier League, it maybe would lose a bit of an impact if he scored. Well, on to Fulham then. They lost 3-0 to Arsenal on the opening day and were fairly terrible. They had only one shot inside the box and, and no big chances. However, the lads over at Fulhamish podcast... Very positive. Very positive. Um, positives to take. Midfield looked okay. We passed it around nicely. Anguisa looked really good when he came on, as I said. Um, Joe Bryan had a decent game. I didn't think he, get caught, he, he got caught out too much. And actually, he made a couple of really decent tackles and tracked back well. Uh, more positives. We've got none of the top six until December when we play Manchester City. We've got a really big run of games now. Leeds, Villa, Wolves, Palace, West Brom, West Ham, all in those uh, in those fixtures uh, what else Mitrovic if he starts 90 gets his first goal uh, he's off and running the front three looked okay in terms of the pace going forward uh, what else uh, we've got the likes of Ariola to maybe come into the team to see how he play, how he plays we've still got Lamina Tete uh, Aina, and maybe some more signings uh, so there are plenty of positives um, I'm not getting upset after one game uh, we've played a top six t- a team and lost 3-0 not the end of the world. It's just whether we can bounce back now. And the games against Leeds and Villa, and I know Leeds is going to be extremely difficult. They were fantastic yesterday. Um, or were they fantastic? But we'll come on to that, I suppose, at a later today. Um, the positives are there's plenty of time to go. We are Fulham and we will, uh, we will, <laughs> we will bounce back. Yes, we were fantastic, just for the record. I mean, it's all about levels, isn't it? When you listen to the desperation some of the things Joe Bryan wasn't beaten too many times. Mitrovic, if he plays, he'll he'll definitely score, won't he? And then we might sign some other players. I loved um, as well. Our front three looked quite good in terms of pace, so like they can run quite fast. Desperate times. They're, they're whole, they whole create anything, but they ran well. The other thing they were quite positive about on the uh, their general review was that the first six minutes were good. 
Seriously, they're all like the, the first six or seven minutes. I thought we did really well. Okay, well done, lads. I mean, all joking apart, we need to be careful uh, not to be seen to be underestimating Fulham by any stretch of the imagination because they gave us the runaround. Scotty, uh, Scotty Parker and his Bladigan in that first half at Ellen Road, back end of last season. Different circumstances when there's a lot of pressure on and uh, they were trying to close us down and chase us at the top of the division. Different circumstances, but it does go to show that we shouldn't anticipate a walkover in this by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to have to really dig in and um, wipe the slate clean, really, and, and go at them again. I think we're going to uh, wipe the floor with Scott Parker's Bladigan. That's what we're going to do. We're Premier League Leeds United against Championship Fulham. They don't stand a chance. I did think listening to that, I could imagine under different circumstances we'd have been saying a lot of those things. Going, oh well, it's, they're a top six side. We don't, you know, we've got Palace coming up and West Ham, and that's going to be easier for us. And it's, it, we were never going to be beating those teams. Whereas having nearly got something from Liverpool, we're more bullish about the whole thing, aren't we? But I think we, it's a must-win game. I'm going to say a must-win. One of their other comments that um, I'm just throwing out to be mean. One of them said. Um, Scott Parker's instilled a never-lose mentality at Fulham. And I know we lost, but we'll probably be coming back strong. (laughs) Uh, Great fun. Well, let's see how we get on against these. It will be an awful hark back to the Championship. I think it's a disgrace we're having to play them this early in the season. Whoscored.com, share my confidence. Fulham's characteristics, they have no applicable, no, sorry, they have no significant strengths. But their weaknesses, defending set pieces, defending against through ball attacks are both very weak. They're weak at finishing scoring chances and they don't have anybody on the bench who could help with that, I'm sure. Weak with aerial duels, ditto, uh, avoiding individual errors and avoiding fouling in uh, dangerous areas. And opponents play aggressively against them is their style. So I think we will be... Yeah, this is three points. Our first three Premier League points. Easy as you like. We are back in the Premier League to obviously make it miles better, but we're not just there to improve their product. We are going to tell you how you can fix it. This is the new bit. What's wrong with the Premier League? What have we got this week? I think they just need to stop with the Spygate and the bucket jokes. We've done these. We did them We did them last season. We did them the season before that. It's really, really boring. So are we saying it's Premier League punditry that we are objecting to here? I think it's just the the ease of these things that they're doing. I mean, and even people I quite like, like Klopp was making a joke about not seeing suspicious people at the training ground and stuff. And it's just like, oh, God. Oh, fuck me. You know, and you sort of, you've just heard, you've heard it all before. And the Carragher did a bit where he sat on the bucket and it's like, oh, isn't this, isn't this funny and new? It's like, ah, oh. maybe for other people it's not. People who only ever watched the Premier League and have somehow managed to miss that. Bielsa has been in this country for two years now, but just boring. Just stop it. I didn't actually mind Carragher seeing on the bucket. Sorry. Because he said there was, um, they were obviously trying to get like a, a funny bit out of it. And he was asked, you know, could you watch a game from sitting on top of a bucket? And he looked out at the pitch and he was just like, yeah, it's a really good view, actually. Yeah, you can see why he does it. It makes sense. Whoever was filming, it was kind of like, yeah, but it's a bucket though. It's it's stupid, isn't it? Like, no, yeah, it's good good view. This because insane. You know, sometimes they just sit on the the seat on the the bench. You don't see anything from there. But yeah, could see why why this would work. So I was I was kind of like, oh, okay, Jamie, you've saved this. He's right. Michael's right though. It's the Premier League. It does. It makes people be reductive. It, it deals in tropes, lazy tropes, doesn't it? Like these are the clowns who they think the rainbow is made up of seven colours, but. Obviously, now we've got Bielsa. We can see the whole spectrum, including all those bits that are invisible to the human eye and the idiots at the Premier League who indulge in this nonsense punditry. That's what they need. They need a soap opera. This is the solution for it. For crap Premier League punditry, let's create a Premier League soap opera, give it its own channel or put it on bloody ITV2 or something shit like that and put all the shit punditry in one place. That's my solution. I mean, TalkSport could have like an Archers type of thing. It seems like it'd be the best place for it. Just interspersed with constant betting adverts. The leads and the know they are. Big love to Levi Solicitors for their continued support on the podcast. And they've done us a massive solid by coming on board for another year. In turn, you should give them a shout when you've got legal matters to attend to. They've got branches across the country offering a wide range of legal services for you. So even if you're moving house, you need some conveyancing done, look them up. Same for getting a will, all that stuff. Levi's will sort you out. And Levi's will also give you 10% off your legal fees for being a listener to this podcast. To claim your discount, go to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. 
Joy and despair, heroes and villains, happiness and sadness. Who has made a smile over the last week or so? And who has disappointed us? Let's pick a hero. Let's pick a villain. First villainy, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Rules of this, Ken Bates gets the first nomination. What for? Can't think of anything this week. So for giving Sean Harvey the platform to get into the Football League and set up a competition where Leeds can lose 7-0 to Accrington. Fine, right. Who else do you want to nominate? Other candidates? We overlooked it on the match ball, but... Liverpool's kit. I know you'd mentioned it prior to it, but I'd not seen it in the, before. And Jesus, why? Why put the the bit at the back? It's like it's it's horrible to have to, to watch a game and just see that people are facing the wrong direction the whole time. One of my mates said to me, "Imagine wearing it." Ah, oh. it's very distracting. Every time a Liverpool player turns his back, you're drawn to it. And I wonder if that's the reason. Is it's a, a distraction device? But um, from from Saturday, I think we should also... Uh, Jurgen Klopp had three chances to bring on James Milner, either forwards or backwards, and he didn't use them. And he had to sit and watch probably the most exciting Leeds-Liverpool game he would ever have had the opportunity to, to be involved in. I think if he had brought Milner on, he might have gone mad because he's uh, with this backwards collar thing, didn't know which way he was playing. He could have scored for us. We can't let this section pass without mentioning that gammon-faced dinosaur, Mick Dennis off of Twitter, who, after watching all that game on Saturday, all that entertainment, two brilliant coaches going toe-to-toe, two teams going toe-to-toe, seven goals in the Premier League curtain raiser. And his main takeaway from that was that Bielsa doesn't speak English. Imagine having that little joy in your life that that's the thing you zero in on. I already had him blocked for something, and I've not really blocked very many people on Twitter. But Mick Dennis was one of them, because I know I saw when you retweeted it, it was hidden from me. I can't remember what I had him blocked for in the first place. It was probably something similar to this. Um, I mean, when you go, he's a Norwich fan. Is the only explanation I can really give for him. And it's not to excuse it, but he does seem to be a Norwich fan. So maybe we need to give him a bit of leeway. We had him blocked from the Square Ball account as well. I think it was due to Spygate-related um, xenophobia, probably. Just the shittest opinions on the whole internet. So I thought, I just don't need to see that. Let's just block the idiot. But then actually unblocks him just to draw attention to his shitness yet again on Saturday. I mean, the rest of his Twitter account, just the other thing at the top of there seems to just be him wanking himself into a frenzy over a really bog-standard Norwich goal. So if he'd rather do that, I suppose leave him to it. Yeah, he says he was merely trying to deflate the hype of his supposed genius. He says that Diego Flores interprets for him now in every training session. Not sure Bielsa actually attends every training session, but there you go. He says, how do you know it hasn't impacted his impact? I mean, we won the league. That's that's the sign I I see. We um we won the league. So I think it's um I think it's fine, you know, and I mean there are plenty of managers who speak English and they say absolutely fuck all of any interest whatsoever. So I don't think uh I mean it's it just comes down to jealousy in a quite a big way it's who's that um sun journalist who's always pissed off whenever Custis. yeah whenever anybody like mentions that they might watch a, the copa libertadores or something he gets furious as if it's an absolute personal slight on the fact that he's writing about proper chip shop football in the premier league some of mick dennis's other tweets about this is when he says uh um he describes the language thing as a symptom of the overblown stuff this myth of his huge brain I mean, is he saying Marcelo Bielsa is not an intelligent man? Is this the thing? He can't be. He doesn't speak English proper. He also says uh, he also says there's a an emperor's new clothes element that his PowerPoint show is all stuff most clubs do. Reporters who don't know modern sports science lapped it up, blowing up in each of his previous seasons at Leeds were failures. I mean, one of his seasons at Leeds we lost in the playoffs. The other one, we won the league by 10 points. I don't know which other previous seasons at Leeds we blew up and failed in. And the pr- season prior to his arrival, we finished mid-table and looked like we were absolutely nowhere near going up. So not really a failure still. Moving on to somebody else who uh, certainly has all the hype. He's earned it all, all the plaudits, Neil Warnock. Thinks he's like Jurgen Klopp. Is Neil around to to read out the words that he he said in his column? Well, I think we've just got the recording of him uh, dictating it down the phone, haven't we? I think so. Shall I play that? This is me pressing the play button. Yeah. 
And, right. And what you can put in after that, because uh, uh, you've got Amy's exam results. Right. Okay. Um, I saw something that, uh, that Klopp said uh, last week about how Liverpool, they aren't the best team, uh, but they've got the best team spirit and the best desire. And uh, you should put down because uh, that's how I feel my teams are. And uh, like, I build the team spirit in pre-season. By being myself, I speak to individuals. We had a, a, a barbecue at, uh, at our house in Cornwall when we played Plymouth. And I had some cooking sausages. I talked to a couple of players. I'm cooking burgers and I, I talked to a few more. We played a couple of games against Plymouth behind closed doors. It was, it was a good week. Uh, yeah, I got to know them a bit better and, uh, and they did me. Their attitude was, uh, was super. And they're just, uh, just before you go, like, don't put in about when I tried that with Robert Snodgrass. And he left halfway through the trip to go uh, to Norwich because it was it was nothing to do with me uh, with me sausages. He loved my sausages, and if you ask, uh, in fact, phone up Robert Snodgrass for this, uh, can you? And just get uh, get a quote from him about how much he loved my uh, he loved my sausages because uh, he was always uh, he was always hanging around the barbecue. He was he was uh, he was a good lad, Robert. And it was uh, sad to see him go. He never stops talking about this fucking barbecue, does he? He's already gone on about it once, so it's such a great thing to do. He's like, no one, no one else wants your fucking barbecue. Neil. It's just you're in charge, so and you're insisting it's be, it's happening. So people are forced to do it. And I bet he's, is is the food ready yet? Yeah, it is. Just just come and stand next to me while I cook for a minute. And people will be like, "Fuck me." Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's the biggest thing in uh, in elite football? Lots of it. I mean, we know from the lads at Leeds, it's nutrition, it's diet, it's fitness, it's attention to detail. Here he is shoving them full of fucking undercooked chicken for three days in fucking <laughs> Devon. And, chicken uh, that's that's modern fancy foreign food that get out wrong with some burgers there was one lad last year I don't know where we'd sign him probably wanted pesto speaking of pork our old friend uh, Keith Stroud I mean he's no longer refereeing our games that's beneath us now but he did kiss the ball aka the pig's bladder at the start of the Watford versus Borough game that was on uh, on telly and that contravenes obviously COVID regulations don't do that Keith put those lips away we know where they've been and also, you're a fucking referee. You don't touch the ball. I think players do it. Like when Alioski does it, or he bites it or something, licks it or something, I don't know. He does his own thing with it, though. But at least he's got a connection with the ball. You're not playing, Keith. You're there to make a game happen. It's not about you. He's got a whistle he can blow. What more does he want? Pig to blow. Right, any other nominations? No, nah, let's just give it to McDennis, fucking thick bastard. <laughs> Perfect. Right, on to the Andy Hughes Hero Award. Let's get some heroes going on, because it's been a nice week, actually, even though we lost. I think Jackie, Clicky and Paddy all need one for their now Premier League goal scorers, Premier League players. I'd say probably the three best players in the Premier League. And the best goalkeeper in the Premier League as well. What's, is he Iliani? Melieli? Messi? Mesli? Spider Boy. Anyway, the uh, the deep-voiced wonder kid is a very good Premier League goalkeeper and is not he doesn't say racist things so that's good on both counts this is going to be a bit of a shock to the system but i am now going to nominate the efl for the andy hughes hero award for persisting with their sham of a competition even though we're not in it anymore and it's therefore pointless so 10 out of 10 for effort lads good on you good on you You've got to admire that resilience i mean we are still in it the championship we got promoted michael the efl cup ah oh, that thing Give it 48 hours, we might not be anymore. Uh, who else do you want to nominate? I'm going to go with Tank Petrol as opposed to his full name. I'm going to try Irek Yezutovic, something like that. Yezutovic. Irek Yezutovic, I would bet. I might be completely wrong, but it's a brave attempt and I hope he appreciates it. But Mick Dennis will probably be descending now. You know, you've been looking at a Polish name for 30 seconds. Why can't you speak it fluently? Or he'll be down in Hyde Park berating him for not speaking Perfect. Sure, your painting's good, but can you uh, can you do this basic English GCSE? If not, pathetic. It's very nice, isn't it? Have you been up to see it, Moscow? You live in that neck of the woods, don't you? I haven't been that way yet, no. But um, I walked past it when it was still being worked upon last week, and it's great. It's very nice to uh, to see that up there. I love that mural. I think we need more of that. And it has begged the question, can can we get one of those done somewhere in Leeds? Is that a thing we could do? Well, the um, the Trust are doing loads, so we should probably plug that, aren't they? The, uh, the Supporters Trust are raising money for paint and materials that they'll then 
um, give to artists. And the other thing they need is walls. So if you've got a wall, that uh, like a gable end or anything that you can, uh, or a business that wants some painting on the side of, they're sort of plugging all those things together. So that's the way to get it done. Give some cash to the supporters trust and then give them your house or the outside of it at least. Those are our hero nominations then for this week. Who's having it? The lads. Should we give it to the lads? Only the goal scoring lads or are we letting the other ones share it as well? No, let him have it too. And also Ailing in Dallas. The lads. All the lads. Should we possibly be excluding the new lads? Because they did they did let us down, didn't they? Definitely not them. These new coming foreigners, as um, Dennis would no doubt say. Uh, yeah, they need they need fucking off immediately, don't they? Pathetic. Get some good English lads in there. That's what we need, isn't it? Exactly. Martin Keown watched that on Saturday and wept. Right, well done, the lads, excluding the new lads. We hope you don't get too upset by that, but you've got to be cruel to be kind. You'll get it eventually. Well done. And that wraps up this episode of the Square Ball Podcast. Loads more coming across the week. We'll return with a match ball after we defeat the whole Tigers in that, what is it, EFL, you said? Ethel, it's pronounced. Ah, in the Ethel Cup, right, in the middle of the week. Thank you for that. Every fucking loser. That's what it stands for. Check out all the business at thesquareball.net. We'll catch you next time. Ta-ra. The Square Ball Podcast. 